Welcome to another episode of the Happiness Project podcast. My name is Mike, I'm your host, and I live with mental illness. I say something like this off the top of every one of these episodes. Why? Because to me, it's like anything else. There's a physical component, it hurts, it's challenging, it's no different than anything else that affects our bodies. You just can't see it. For this episode, I want to introduce something to you that I'm proud to say I I came up with it myself. I call it doing a 180. And what I mean by that is taking your experiences with mental illness and acknowledging some of the great work you're doing each and every day simply by living. This is what I mean. This is what doing a 180 is to me. Let's start from the beginning. When you're in the midst of a mental health crisis, of course, everything can seem daunting. You have trouble doing the normal things everyone takes for granted. Now, I don't know about you, but I've seen this in some mental health forms many times when I see people celebrating taking a shower. Now, if you don't suffer from mental illness, you think, what the heck is that? You have to understand what an effort it is sometimes when you are struggling to simply take a shower. But here's some other things that require a tremendous amount of effort that I think only people with who have experienced it would know. Walking, shopping, cooking a meal, getting up out of bed. It's because your energy level when you're fighting through a mental health crisis is so incredibly low. I believe the energy level is low because you expend so much mental energy fighting this condition. You know what it's like? Like when you're done an exam, maybe finishing a massive task at work, maybe you finished a massive home repair. You know that mental exhaustion when you've just overcome something that, you know, seemed completely daunting? That's what depression, anxiety, mental illness makes you feel like 24 hours a day, seven days a week for the duration of that crisis. We're not talking about, you know, a a couple of hours of mental exhaustion, then you sleep and you feel better the next day. No, we're talking about something that is with you the moment you open your eyes to the moment you, God willing, are able to go to sleep. Then there's, you know, the thoughts that attack you when you're in the midst of a, a crisis. And the people who have been through it know, no one cares about you. No one will understand. I'm all alone in this. There's no way out. And will this cloud ever lift from over top of me? For me, I remember there was a period of intense anxiety where I couldn't bring myself to believe I would ever get a good night's sleep again. This is around 2015. And at this point, I had gone four nights without sleep. And it happened more than once. I was so exhausted, just, I, I, I could barely get up. It, it, for me, I, I tell people this, it, for half the day, 
it felt like I was hungover from the day before. You know, that feeling of, you know, after an intense bender. For me, it was uh, I would wake up and half my day I would feel hungover because I was so tired and just sluggish. Take all of that, you know, all of those challenging thoughts in your head and think about the lack of energy you have. And then think about the fact that you often will isolate yourself when you're in the midst of a crisis. And all of these negative thoughts that you had, they somehow become a reality because these thoughts are ignoring the fact or they're ignoring that you have the power to go out and reach out to someone or these thoughts are telling you not to do it. And these are the, you know, and there's also the reality that there are some people in your life that may not know that you're struggling. You may think that it's obvious, but you could also be doing a much better job hiding it than you realize. I felt like this in Peterborough. I went through a year and a half of intense depression and not many people visited me at that time. And since not many people visited me at that time, I was convinced that I didn't matter. But again, I look back on that time and I think, how many times did I invite people to stay with me? And then I thought, how the heck could I actually host people? I was living in an apartment. Like, these are the realities that I didn't think about. I just assumed, well, no one cares. Like, no, visiting me would have been hard. I understand that. But I still got up when I was there. Like, I dressed. I often went for runs. I went to work. I did my job to the best of my abilities. I cooked myself meals. I took showers. All of these things that you do over the course of a day. So I'm wondering if there are people out there that are going through this. Do you do all these things every day, even during the worst times? My point is this. When you are at your worst and you are still somehow finding a way to live, you need to do a 180 in your thinking. What that means is you need to acknowledge to yourself that you are accomplishing something simply by living. And by living, you're fighting. And by fighting, you're making your way towards better days. I don't think this is positive thinking. I don't believe in positive thinking. I believe these are facts. By living your everyday life, you're fighting your condition. By fighting your condition, you are making your way towards a be towards better days. That better day might not, those better days might not be, you know, even clear on the horizon. You may not, you might still be far away from them, but you're getting there. You may not think you are, but you are. To me, it's all very logical. So do a 180. Acknowledge your own efforts. It may not seem like much to you that you are still living your daily life, even in the midst of horrible struggles. But the fact that you are living your life is significant. I know this from experience. This leads me to another thought I had a while back. And I have to say, since I've been a mental health public speaker with the Federal Speakers Bureau, the speech that I give to departments has changed over time. And it's changed over time because I like to think I'm getting better at public speaking, but I also think it's changed because 
based on the feedback that I've heard from people and based on me just reflecting on my own experiences, it's allowed me to see my struggles a lot more clearly. And this is what I said to a few people I know, and it's about suffering. No matter what you're going through in life, there, this is a fact. Everything in this world is temporary. Sort of break it to you. You're born, you live your life, and you die. That's a fact. But this also means that everything in your life has a beginning, a middle, and an end. And this is true about mental health crises. There's the initial shock at the onset. That can be too much for some people. When I say the initial shock of when you realize, oh man, I can feel this coming on and this isn't going to be good. That's a horrifying realization for a lot of people. They can't, they can't, they can't get over that. Once that wears off though, then there's the long, painful slog called the middle. It may last a few days. It may last a couple hours for you. For me, it can go from a few hours to a few years. That's a long time in the middle. And that's, to me, what's so maddening about it. There is no predictability to it. And even while you're in the middle, I try to remind people that every action you take is one step closer to the end. Actually, I think that's a line from a, there's a rock song by Dream Theater that says, every step I take leads me one la less closer to the end or something like that. There's a, anyway, it's a, you have to look up that, you have to look up Dream Theater. That, that's a, <laughs> showing my age, throwing out a lyric to a prog rock song from the early 1990s. Anyway, and you may not see the end. It may not, it may not even be visible on the horizon. But you know what? There is an end. And your choices will play a role in how this part of your story ends. And I'm not trying to put too much onus on you kind of taking control of your life um, because I understand, sadly for some people, the suffering is so intense that they can't understand, that people can't understand how there can be an ending free of that intense suffering. Uh, I'm not discounting the fact that some people try and it's and it ends up being not enough. It's sad. It's heartbreaking. But for many of us, I think the choices we make to live our lives every day mean that we want to get to an end and we want to feel better, even if we don't know the way or we aren't sure we're going to get there. I think about my longest bouts of depression and I think about all the things I did to fight the condition simply by living every day. While I was in Peterborough, I was working as a reporter and my hours were very, very um, unpredictable. I remember I, since I was a city hall reporter, there would always be the one day a week where I would, you know, I would attend the city council meeting and then I would have to write all my stories after the city council meeting. And I remember my work days would sometimes end at two in the morning. I'd be home at two thirty in the morning. And then I was expected to be back at work, you know, after a 12 hour break. Cause it was, and then it, it was, it was a daunting schedule. It was tough because I had very little, very little of a social life, no connections. Everyone that I knew and loved was at least four, four and a half hours away, but 
and it was it was a terrible time but i wrote a novel um and i found that experience to be quite therapeutic now granted i don't think it was the greatest work of literature ever but i liked it at the time and it was something that really helped me through months of intense suffering i also joined a nature club i played a bit of soccer as i said i ran i tried a few things you know nothing worked for very long but the point is i was always willing to take a step toward that ending even if i didn't consciously know this is what i was doing at the time beginning middle and end it's a fact of life you know how you never want the good times to end well, think about the opposite. You never want the, the good times to end, but conversely, there's a lot of us who think the bad times will never end. Well, it seems like that's not consistent thinking to me. And if you can see that that's not consistent, then you can understand how, if that's the way you perceive things, then maybe, someone told me this, someone said this to me the other day, Maybe your brain's giving you bad information. And I'd go one step further. Maybe the sickness is feeding your brain bad information, which in turn is feeding you bad information. So beginning, middle, and end. And do a 180. Acknowledge that what you are doing is outstanding. It's an act of bravery. It's an act of defiance. It's an act of courage. All of these things where you're battling your condition. I don't see this as a pause, as positive thinking at all. I believe defying adversity is an act of bravery. I want to end with a small passage from the Bible since I am a person of faith and my mental health support group is a product, or I should say, yeah, a product of the efforts of three different churches here. Um, in the Bible, in the Gospel according to Mark, there is a story of a woman who had suffered for years from a disorder that caused her hemorrhaging. She talked to all the doctors of the time, she got nowhere, and was an outcast in society. It doesn't explicitly explain how, but this Gospel passage says this woman fought through this adversity for 12 years 12 years i can't imagine that especially you know 2000 years ago at one point knowing jesus could heal her she touched his cloak and she was instantly healed jesus when he realizes in this in the story that someone in a crowd that was pressing in on him touched him he said who touched me and everyone kind of looks around and this woman finally acknowledges it was me so Jesus confronts her gently and she admits which, that she touched him. And Jesus, it, it seems like, it doesn't really say this, but I could see him kind of smiling in this. And he realizes that the woman had faith that he could heal her. And he tells her that it was her faith that made her well, not touching his cloak. So I, I love that story for many reasons. And even if you're not a believer, I hopefully, I'm, I'm hopeful that you can see the beauty of faith if not in god then faith in yourself and in your own abilities beginning middle and end and do a 180 you are tougher and stronger than you realize so those are two thoughts from my experience over the years as i said many times i'm not a counselor i'm not an expert i'm just sharing what's worked for me over the years and i would remind you that if you are in distress 
or if you know someone that is in distress, please make use of the resources in your community. There are many resources. There are crisis lines. In some places in Canada, there is a 311 number. Make use of what you can. Call a friend. Do what you need to do. And that's, all, and that's it for this episode of The Happiness Project. I'd like to thank you for tuning in. If you wanted to get a hold of me, the best way to do it is to search Happiness Project Ottawa on Facebook. There you'll find our Facebook page. It has links to our website as well as my email address, which is happinessprojectottawa at gmail.com. You can also search for our videos on YouTube. Just type in Happiness Project Ottawa on YouTube. You'll find our page. Thank you so much. My name is Mike. We'll talk to you again. God bless.